Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Welcome all of you today. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. I want you to open to the book of Matthew chapter 10. You've been with us the last month. You've followed along in a series that I've been preaching called Upgrade, and we're going to say it one more time. So I want you to look at somebody uh, that's sitting close to you, and I want you to say, hey, there is a better version of me. Come on, tell somebody right now. There's a better version of me. Aaron, I know that's hard for Noemi to say, but there, there might be. No, I'm just kidding. There is a better version of me. Why is that important? Well, it's very important to God. I started driving when I was eight or nine years old. When you kind of live on a farm, you learn to drive early. So I was driving at eight or nine years. I actually had my accident at nine years old. I drove a pickup over a tandem disc plow. My excuse was there was a bubble bumblebee in the cab with me. My uncle didn't buy it, but my grandpa did, and that's all that mattered because it was his truck. But I remember when I first was learning to drive, and I was so small, I was only eight or nine years old, I would follow the tractor or whatever. We were moving from one field to another, and I just followed behind. I couldn't reach the pedals and sit back in the seat at the same time. I had to the edge of the seat, and I'd pull myself up right by the steering wheel, and I'm using the pedals, and I'm just barely able to sit over the steering wheel through the windshield. Um, they had a lot of trust in me. I'm not sure why, but that's what happened. I wasn't able to, to meet the standard of the distance between the pedals and the seat. You see, they, wouldn't, they don't make pickups for eight-year-olds. They make it for adults, or at least when you're 16 or big enough to reach the pedals and sit back and relax. I did not meet the standard. I had to grow into the standard of driving a pickup. There's a better version of you. And what God wants you to do is to grow into the standard that He wants you to meet in order for you to live the way that He wants you to live. You see, God does not intend for you to be a victim of the enemy or of this life. Let me try it over here. God does not intend for you to live as a victim of the enemy or of this life. We are not victims. We are followers of Jesus. We are citizens of the kingdom. And therefore, we have privileges and we have standards that we can live to that will cause us to have a life that is overcoming and overflowing and filled with righteousness and peace and joy. And so there's a reason why God wants you to be better than you are, a better version of you. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So I want to go into several scriptures, so get your Bibles ready. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, I want to talk about standards. The first standard of the kingdom that I want to talk about is the standard of authority. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And he called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them... Say it with me. Authority to drive out evil spirits 
and to heal every disease and sickness. Now that word in the Greek, authority, is exousia. It means to, to exercise dominion, to, to have privilege, to have the capacity. Okay, so I have given you authority. If you look at the sister verse of Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and Luke chapter 9, verse 1, you'll see the words, these words, and Jesus had called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Now, there's two words there. The first word, power, is the word dunamis, which means the ability to prevail over, okay? And of exousia, the, the authority to exercise dominion, capacity, privilege. And what he's really saying is that, see, power is when you discern what God is doing and you become a part of that. He uses you. Authority is when you... Act out of who you have been created to be. What, what, what I'm saying is, is Jesus has given the disciples authority. He has given them a, a, an identity that they are to, to live out. And it's initiated. Authority is initiated by your identity in Christ. So there is a standard of authority that every believer should have. You should exercise dominion. You should prevail over in power, in dunamis power, all of the things that the world brings against you. Whether it's the plans that the enemy has to destroy your life or whether it's just life itself. Because how many of you know life itself can be hard? And so he gives his 12 disciples authority and he gives them power. Skip down a few verses to verse 7. And as you go, preach this message. Here's the message. Here's the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we've talked about that in the last several weeks, haven't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's desire for us to see the break of heaven on earth. His plan for you is not to try to get you to heaven. That's the easy part. If you know Jesus, He could stop your heart right now and you're in the presence of God. Immediately, you're in heaven. The hard part is to get heaven in you while you live and walk and go to Walmart and all that kind of stuff. It's even harder to keep heaven in you when you're sitting in traffic on 35. Can I get an amen? As you go, preach this message, He says. The kingdom of heaven is near. Look at verse 8. So heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Preach the message that the kingdom is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Drive out demons. Skip over to Matthew chapter 28. Told you we're going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says, and then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority, can we say that? All authority has been given in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven, all authority in earth 
has been given to me. Now, I want you to just stop and think about that. If Jesus says that all authority has been given, then that means that there is someone who talks like they have authority, but they really don't. Right? Jesus said all authority. He didn't say 90% of the authority in heaven and on earth is mine. He said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means no matter what the devil does, he has no authority. Amen. He has no authority in your life, in your children's life, in your future, on your job. Come on, somebody. The enemy has no authority and no say-so in your life. So whenever conflict begins to stir up in your own family and you see the scheme of the enemy, you need to speak to that and say, you have no authority here. Is this okay? Listen, we have to live as the kingdom of heaven is near. And there is a standard of authority that every believer needs to begin to exercise. Exercising authority. He goes on, he says, So therefore, since all authority has been given to me, so therefore, he says, here's the mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And notice this, verse 20. And teaching them to obey, say it, everything that I have commanded you. Now, go back to... Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, what did he command? Preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. What? Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out demons. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. It sounds like Jesus gave a pretty stern, straightforward command in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Would you be... Would you say, yes, he did. Teach them to obey those things that I have commanded. So what happens here is Jesus is commissioning his 11 disciples and he sends them out with the task to do this. He sends them out with the task to teach what he taught them. To teach what he had commanded them. And you can see what he commanded them to go and make disciples and to teach those disciples. And as those disciples learn what has been taught, then the next disciples will learn. And then you teach the next disciples, and you teach the next disciples. And so from the apostles to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, they're all being taught the same thing. That's Jesus' intention, that they should go and they should preach the kingdom of heaven is near. They should heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out, the, they cast out demons. That's what Jesus taught them. I believe this. I believe the Word of God bears it out very clearly. Some have come to believe that if you look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, some have come to believe that everything after the word preach ended with the last apostle. Preach the kingdom of heaven. But don't worry about that heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lit. Don't worry about that stuff. He didn't mean it for us. Look back at Matthew chapter 28. Teach them to obey everything 
Jesus told his disciples, teach all of it. Teach all of it. Their disciples to teach all to the next generation, to the children that we just dedicated. They need to understand that this is not just a gospel that just goes and gets preached. This is a gospel that gets demonstrated. That there is healing in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That there is deliverance in the, heal, in, the, in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That there is life in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to Him and He has passed it on and given that us to, to us. This is the standard of the message of the kingdom that was never to be changed. Jesus intended for the disciples, the first disciples, and he intended for you and I as disciples, as followers of Jesus, to understand that's what the message was. It was not to be changed. My mom and dad are building a house right now. And so this past week I went up to help them set some walls, and we were putting up some walls, some real tall walls, and we needed we needed about 20 studs in this on this run and one of the guys that was there one of the hands he's he's cutting the boards okay he did a little bit cut off and uh my dad and i are up there putting these walls together well what this guy does is he takes the board he takes this stud and we gave him the measurement and he measures out this this board and then he gets that cut and then he takes the next board and he sets it underneath it and he uses the board he just cut and he sets it on top of there and he marks it and then he cuts that one. And then he takes the second one that he had just cut and he sets it on top of there and he marks that one and the third one and fourth and so on. He's using every one that he just cut, he sets on top and makes that his pattern. Now that's good if you do two or three boards. But after you do about 20 those boards are all over the place. Why? Because they did not go back and conform to the original standard. It's my opinion that for the last 2,000 years, the church has simply been measuring itself by the previous generation and not by the original standard. I think this is the reason why in so many churches we lack the demonstration of the power of God because we're just measuring ourselves against the previous generation. It didn't happen for them. Why happen for us? Wasn't necessary for them. Because preach is all that matters. I could preach all day long. But in one second, the demonstration of the Spirit's power would supersede anything that I could ever say. We have settled underneath the standard. Are you with me, church? We, we, have, we have become content with a lower standard of a gospel. Of a gospel that is absent the demonstration of God's power. 
The standard is to seek Him. The standard is to see the kingdom of heaven break through into our normal, ordinary, mundane lives when we're sick or when we need deliverance or when we need provision. We need that standard that God breaks into our lives, into the infirmed, into the bound, into the broken, into the dead, and He brings supernatural life to us and transforms us. That is the standard of the gospel. That is the standard of authority that Jesus left his first disciples. He wants us to live up to that standard of authority. I guess you could say you've been authorized and deputized by Jesus to represent him. That's the standard of authority. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at the standard of salvation. Go with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, verse 20. The scripture says, Then when the disciples went out and they preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word, look at that, confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. You see, the power of God that's at work in your life is meant to confirm the confirming communication of the gospel. God's work in your life intends to confirm the very thing that He has placed in your life, the gospel message, that the kingdom of heaven is near. How did they know the kingdom of heaven was near? Was it just because Jesus told them so? No, He confirmed that the kingdom of, was, of heaven was near. They could see the kingdom. Didn't he ask them, do you not see? Do you not hear? This is the kingdom of God moving forward. Because the gospel must be preached. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 1 verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power of God unto salvation. It's not the message of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. And that's the word I want us to look at. Unto salvation. Let me just say this. Salvation goes far beyond just the forgiveness of sin. Salvation goes far beyond just praying a prayer or repeating a prayer. One of the great things about the Reformation and Martin Luther back in the 16th century when he nailed the 95 theses on the on the doors of the Wittenberg Chapel. And he declared that there is true salvation by faith, not by works, but by faith. One of the greatest things that ever happened in that Reformation movement was that the attention began to be moved back into the church about what true salvation was when it comes to forgiveness of sin. But what was partially lost in that Reformation movement is that that that's all it became. Salvation was only about the forgiveness of sin, getting somebody right with God and trying to get them to heaven. But if you look at the Bible, if you look at the New Testament, salvation didn't just include forgiveness of sin. Salvation included also deliverance and healing. 
You could say it like this, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the kingdom of God, for it is the power of God for the forgiveness of sin, deliverance, and healing in my life. Salvation is about spirit, soul, and body. It is free altogether. Jesus never intended for any one facet of, of salvation to be lost. S- salvation is about sin, poverty, and pain. You say, well, we'll explain that. Well, let me show you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, he says, And lead us not into t- temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you come to Jesus and your sins are forgiven, you are delivered from evil, which is wickedness. But that word evil there in, in the Lord's Prayer that we looked at a few weeks ago, that word evil has a lot of different understandings and meaning. It not only involves, uh, it's, the, it's the word poneros, which means wickedness, worthlessness, or pain, sickness. Wickedness, worthlessness, or pain. All three of those. You've got wickedness, which is sin. You've got worthlessness or, 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 or poverty. You've got sickness and pain. All three of these things, he says, Lord, deliver me from those. How do I deliver from those? I am saved from those. Some people come to church and they say, well, you know, hey, you want to get saved? You say, what am I saved from? You invite somebody to come to church, you say, or you're out there, you're witnessing to somebody, hey, you know, would you like to get saved? It's become a church term that we only, that, that we can't even really define. Well, here's what it is. When you get saved, the Lord redeems you from your sin, your wickedness. He causes your life not to be worthless anymore, and He frees you from your sickness and from your pain. That's what salvation does. It's a complete thing. It's not just one, oh, okay, repeat this prayer and you're good. You're saved. No, no, no. He wants to cause your life to be worth something. He wants you to count in this life. You and I, are we are spending our days quickly. Some of you have spent more than half. I've spent more than some of you have. And none of us knows exactly how many of those days we have left to spend, but we spend them every moment that we take a breath. And God wants our life to be spent well, to be worth something, to have value, to add value. God wants our life to be healthy and to be whole and free from pain and free from sickness, to live an overcoming life. God wants us to live a righteous life, free from sin, free from addiction. Come on. He wants us to live live like the kingdom is near. Jesus intended for the gospel to make an impact on the whole person. He intended for you and I, friend, he intended for us to illustrate and to demonstrate and to model the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's what God has been speaking to me about so clearly lately. We need to model heaven on earth. That requires more than just attending church on Sunday morning. We must model heaven on earth through the work of God in our life, not just in righteousness, but the scripture says, in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says... In Mark 16, 20, he says that they preached 
And the Lord worked and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Let me say this. The bolder the message, the bolder the sign. Cowardly messages produce timid demonstrations. reason why so many churches lack the demonstration of the work of God is because cowardly messages are being preached where the Lord is never allowed to do His work. It's far easier just to check a box on the card in the back of your seat in front of you, drop it in a box and walk out. But wouldn't you like to see someone who is addicted to who is bound by the enemy, whose life is non-functional, who is broken because of past failure after failed relationships are just sunk to the bottom. Wouldn't you love to see something like that person come to the front and God demonstrates His delivering power and His mending power and His healing power to restore, not just physically, but to restore their emotions and their mind and everything about them. That's salvation. That's the whole work. And Jesus came to give us the whole thing. Not just, hey, check a card. I'm forgiven. Praise God. I repeated a prayer. Let's go eat lunch. No. I want to change your life and make you worse. I want to heal you from every part. I want to touch you. That's what it means to be saved, freed, delivered. Brother George, you know about that, don't you? He shared his testimony Wednesday. Jesus the worker of that salvation. It's the gospel, the power of God demonstrated in a life that only the power of God can free them and give them. That's the standard of salvation. What about this standard? Acts chapter 4. Look at this. Acts chapter 4 verse 29. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word, your word, with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now, let me just give you a little context. These guys. The, the, the disciples, the apostles, had just gotten out of prison. They just got out of prison because they had been preaching the gospel and they had been laying their hands upon the sick and the sick had been getting healed. Signs, things were taking place, demonstrations of the power of God. And so they were threatened and they were told, do not teach that message anymore. And especially, don't go putting your hands on anybody and, and praying healing over anybody anymore. You just fade off into the distance and we'll leave you alone. But don't do that anymore. And so what do the disciples do in response to this threat? They all have a prayer meeting. And what do they pray? God, give us even more boldness than we just had. 
Because in chapter 3 of Acts, you see that there is incredible boldness. They, they, and it even says that they were given boldness to proclaim the Word of God. Now they're saying, God, give us all boldness. Double it, triple it, quadruple. God, make me as bold as a lion. Even in the face of all their threats, they're bold already. God, just double down. Let's go. And so they pray. And they say, Lord, give us more. Aren't you glad that the kingdom of God never runs out of resources? <laughs> I'm so thankful. That the kingdom never runs out of... There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. Everything else has limits, but my God has no limits. There is no limit to His resources and His abundance that He'll give to you. There is a limitation when it comes to fear, but there is no limitation when it comes to His peace. There is a limitation when it comes when it comes to 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 uh, inability, but there is no limitation to His ability through you because you can be powerful by the Word of God and through the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So the threats and the enemy and all these things they have limitations, but God doesn't have any. Look on your servants. Give us all boldness. See the standard of boldness. It's not, Lord, let me just be bold today. The, Lord, the standard of boldness is this. Lord, let me be bolder tomorrow than I ever was today. God, do more in my life tomorrow than you've done in the past. I know some of you have some incredible testimonies of the faithfulness and the work of God in your life. Some of you have been healed by the power of God. There's no question. There's no escape from that. Some of you have been, you, you have actually seen the healing power of God upon your, some of you have seen the provision of God, a miraculous provision. You didn't have, you had zero money and all of a sudden you had some money because God miraculously did something that you weren't, didn't have the capacity to do. The standard of boldness says, Lord, I'm going to not just ask for small things. I'm going to continue to ask for more. I'm going to ask for big things. And we begin to pray bold prayers. It's not God just helped me to get by. It's God, I ask that, Lord, that you would supply all my needs according to your riches, not my own. From your perspective, not my own. That's the standard of boldness. Everybody good? Let's finish up with this one. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 4 says this, And while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will... Have you noticed how frequently in the New Testament we see these words? Can I ask you, why is our generation so afraid of that? Why are we so afraid of signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that's here in the Scripture? You, you can't get around it. I mean, the only way that you can believe that none of this happens and happened is you'd have to just tear half of the New Testament out because Jesus did what he did in demonstration. You see, layer upon layer, God supernaturally demonstrates the work of the Spirit in our life. Signs and wonders and miracles and gifts, layer after layer after layer, 
the demonstration of the kingdom of God in our every regular, ordinary life is a part of the Christian walk. It was, it was frequent in the New Testament. In the life of the disciples, it was frequent. It wasn't something, oh yeah, man, that happened, what happened? Because when Jesus was already gone, what happened to, James and, uh, to Peter and John as they were walking? What happened? Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, I give to you. Well, it didn't seem like the power of God stopped after Jesus had ascended, right? Seemed like it carried on to that next generation. It's because that was the intention. Jesus wanted that to be taught all the way through. That is the power. That is the message of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse 13 says, And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Skip down to verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything. Paul says, I'm not going to speak about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Notice this phrase. By word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders. Here we go again. By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I want you to look back at those words in verse 18. Word and deed. In the New Testament, what you're going to find is that deed always accompanies word. Always. If you look back in the life of Jesus, deed always accompanied word. The gospel was never intended to be word only. I want to say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ was never intended to be word only. Just someone telling you a story. That was never the intention of the gospel. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus would his disciples in order to explain what he has just done or what he was about to do. When Jesus taught, he was explaining the deed or the work that he had just done through the power of God to explain and to teach them that the kingdom of heaven is about word and deed. It's the declaration that the kingdom is coming and it's the demonstration of the kingdom breaking through into regular, ordinary life. If you look in Acts chapter 1, Luke says this. Luke says, In the first book, O O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to what? Do and teach. Or in other versions, say and do. Jesus never just taught something, got up and gave a good sermon and dismissed the people to go eat lunch. He demonstrated the kingdom of God in word and deed. You go to John chapter 3, you have a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus and Jesus are having a discussion. They're discussing salvation. They're talking about how can this happen? What is, what's supposed to happen? In verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Look at this. We know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do. Jesus demonstrated the gospel. He didn't just tell people about it. 
It wasn't just a good story to try to find belief in. He demonstrated the story of the kingdom through the work that he did. So a teacher in the New Testament was a doer. The key teaching gifts in the New Testament were intended to explain the preceding or the proceeding actions that were done by the Holy Spirit. They were never, it was never intended. The, 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 the teaching of the Scripture, the teaching of the Word of God in the New Testament church was never reduced to be just what the Western civilization reduced it to. Our culture basically says that a teacher is the source of information. But in the New Testament... The teacher was not just a source of information. The teacher was a demonstration. He would demonstrate the information. I'm praying that the Lord would return to this church, this kingdom standard. And we would once again expect doing the work, the action, the power of God to be demonstrated among us again and not just preached for someone to believe and to hope for, but to be seen with our eyes. If the kingdom of God is near, let it be seen. Paul says, I will not venture to speak except by word or deed to bring Gentiles to obedience. It's funny that Paul was the one who went to the Gentiles. I mean, it's the only way to really discover the power of God, I think, when you see it in the New Testament is when you have to operate out of your own weakness. You've got Paul and you've got Peter. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Peter was sent to the Jews. If it was me, I would have swapped it around because Paul was an intellect above intellects. He was trained. He was the, he was the Harvard-educated guy of the day. Trained under Gamaliel, he was, he, who was the authority of anything religious, anything Jewish. And Paul could argue with anyone about religion, about salvation, about God. Paul could do that. Why not send Paul to the Jews and let old rough-cut fisherman Peter go to the clueless Gentiles? Because they didn't have to know what's going on. They didn't know who Jesus was. Messiah what? He's Jesus and he can do some awesome things. Let's follow him. I'm glad I'm included in the Gentile bunch. Just kind of clueless. Just, hey, I love it. But Paul demonstrates God called him to go to the Jews because we can only understand the power of God when we're operating out of our own human weakness. Because the Holy Spirit has to make up all the difference. A lot of people think that ministry and everything is done out of the natural talents that you have. No, it, it can be. But God uses us most often out of our own weakness so that He is the one who gets all the glory. That's why when He demonstrates great things among us that we can't say, oh, pff, did you do that? No, I didn't, I didn't have nothing to do with it. It was God. Let's celebrate Him. Amen. Let me close with this. The power of God, this standard of power, it's not about what you know. It's about what you come to believe. You'll never be able to explain everything there is to be explained about God. If you could, you would be God and He would be asking you questions. And I can tell you right now, ain't none of you qualified for that chair. Me neither. You'll never completely understand 
all there is to know. But what you do believe is verse 19 that says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, Paul says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. One last scripture, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. A life verse for me. I've got many, but this is one. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. You can read that backwards and you can say, because God was with Him, He healed all and He did good. If you're in this room and God is with you, guess what? You're qualified. You're qualified to do just as what Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 10. You can lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. Mark 16. These signs will follow them that believe. Why? Because God is with you. It's not you. You're not demonstrating your power. You're just operating in the authority and the power that God has given you. That's the standard of power in the kingdom. When God is with you, certain things should be expected to happen in your life. When you are living in the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven, you should expect heaven to break through in your life at any moment. There's a better version of you and I. There's a better version of our church. There's a better version of the church in the world today. And I believe it's, I believe it's time for us to step into that new version. Amen? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to close just a moment in prayer. If you're sitting next to someone that you know, I'd like for you to either take their hand or put your hand on their shoulder. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray over them right now. I'm going to pray for you. Here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray this prayer. You ready? We're going to pray this prayer that says, Lord, help us to better represent you. Now, represent, just think of the word. Represent. 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 To reshow the people around us to represent Jesus to the world around us. Not in a powerless, cowardly, short-sighted gospel, but with a gospel that is filled with the power of God to transform lives. Lord, help me to represent Jesus, our healer, our deliverer, our life giver, Help me represent Jesus to the world. Let's pray together. Would you just pray with that person that's here next to you? If you're by yourself, just pray that the Lord would do that in your life. Father, I pray, God, this morning that you would help us to represent you well. Lord, help us to represent you well. Lord, help us to understand the standards that are that the kingdom brings to us. Lord, the standards of authority, the standards of courage and power, Lord God. I pray that you would help us to represent you, Lord God, as we go about our work, Lord, as we go about, Lord, our business, as we go about, Lord... God, our shopping or hanging with our family or our friends, Lord, let us represent you well. Lord, not just in word, also in deed. Give us the faith, Lord, and the courage, Lord, to step out and, Lord, to speak to the mountain that stands before us, that it be cast into the sea. 
Let us speak to the beggar that says, give me something. And we respond with, I don't have what you're looking for. We have something better. I don't have silver or gold or a dollar bill, but I can give you what I do have, and that is Jesus and the power that he can change your life. Father, help us to represent you well in this world that is in such disarray, such chaos. The days ahead, Lord, are so uncertain, Lord God. We don't know, Lord, what time it is exactly, but we know that, Lord, that your soon coming is close. And so, Lord, help us to represent you well in this world, Lord, at this critical time. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.